Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Buddha Dhamma Sangam Namasami One of you asked the question, why do we meditate? I was reflecting, this is not actually a beginner's question. And it is a beginner's question, but we, as Suzuki Roshi very beautifully put it many years ago, we're all beginners. That we're just beginning, today is the beginning, the beginning of our life. The past is dead. There's nothing in front. It's unknown, uncertain. But right now we're here and we begin where we are. And the journey could be very long. Just like the conditions of COVID could be very long. We have no idea. But if we can begin well and make our lives into something beautiful, then we can really follow the Buddha's teaching. And also following along with what was asked with that question, why do we meditate? Well, we have to ask ourselves a few other questions. One of them is, are we happy? Are you happy? We have to ask ourselves, am I happy? And if we're not happy, why are we not happy? What is preventing us from being happy? And what kind of happiness are we looking for? So the real happiness that we're looking for is one that doesn't disappear. It's a happiness that will last, something that will fulfill us completely. And what we discover when we meditate is that worldly conditions do not satisfy that expectation. No matter how much we try, how hard we try to accumulate, to acquire, to satisfy our sense media, to gratify the sense media through food, through entertainment, through relationships, through acquisitions, through fame and power, through traveling. I remember I had a very dear friend many years ago. 
She died of cancer. She was in her 80s. And she was a very noble woman, very sincere and ethical, pure-hearted, not a cell of malice in her, would do anything for you. She loved traveling. And she used to always go on cruises. And then she got cancer. And it was very difficult for her to travel after her treatments. But her girlfriends all convinced her to join them on a cruise. And they did this Europe in seven days. They went to all these countries. And she came back so disenchanted. Disenchanted with travel. She could see that she just wasn't up to it, but also what could you see in seven days? What could you even remember? And to drag herself around and follow along with all the chit-chat and everything else, she was exhausted. It so happened that I was teaching a senior's meditation course at that time. And she used to attend. And she said she loved meditating because meditating was a good way to travel. She could travel into her own heart and she could be so happy. And I thought that was a very beautiful thing because it's true. If we go into the moment, if we stop moving, if we stop searching here, there, and everywhere. Now people want to go to Mars. The moon wasn't enough. The earth isn't enough. Let's, let's go out there to find our happiness. But then wherever we go, we find that our mental condition changes. It doesn't remain happy. As soon as we have the object that we want, we're tired of it. We want the next thing. And then we're very impatient. We want that happiness right now. But this path, as difficult as it might seem, teaches us that this is an imperfect realm, that is a realm that is filled with suffering, but it is also filled with the ending of suffering. And those are the two things that the Buddha teaches. He doesn't just tell us, look at your suffering, but look at how it can end. And so this path is the highest kind of travel or journey that we can make. So why would we take inferior journeys, journeys that spin us through the, the earth, around the earth, around the world, or in digital worlds, of course now, we're going digital traveling. I'm so glad. Otherwise, how could we come together tonight, especially some of you, Anna in Mexico and Mary in BC, and there's Lynn from Calgary. And here we are in a moment in the Dhamma, in the truth, waking up to things as they truly are. This is the most 
generous gift that we can give to ourselves, but because it helps us to find real happiness, the happiness that no one can take away from us, a happiness that is free, portable, totally fulfilling, and it also is a blessing, a blessing in the heart and a blessing to everyone that we meet, that we speak to, that we're with, that we come into connection with. But it takes time. It really does. And in the spirit of that, I wanted to read a little sutta to you from the Anguttara Nikaya, and it's the Book of Threes, number 15, Pachetana. On one occasion, the Blessed One was dwelling at Benares in the deer park at Isipatana. And there the Blessed One addressed the monks. Monks! Venerable Sir, those monks replied, and the Buddha said this. Monks, in the past, there was a king named Pachetana. King Pachetana addressed a chariot maker. Friend, chariot maker, six months from now there will be a battle. Can you make me a new pair of wheels? I can, Lord, the chariot maker replied. After six months, less than six days, the chariot maker had finished one wheel. Then the king addressed the chariot maker. Six days from now, there will be a battle. Is the new pair of wheels finished? And the chariot maker replied, In the past six months, less than six days, Lord, I have finished one wheel, not two. But friend, chariot maker, can you finish a second wheel for me in the next six days? I can, Lord. Then over the next six days, the chariot maker finished the second wheel. He brought the new pair of wheels to the king and said, this is the new pair of wheels that I have made for you, Lord. What is the difference, friend chariot maker, between the wheel that took six months less six days to complete and the one that took six days to complete. I do not see any difference between them. There is a difference, Lord. Observe the difference. Then the chariot maker rolled the wheel that had taken six days to finish. It rolled as far as the impetus carried it. And then it wobbled and fell to the ground. But the wheel that took six months, less six days to finish, rolled as far as the impetus carried it, and then it stood still as if fixed on an axle. The king asked, why is it friend, chariot maker, that the wheel that took six days to finish rolled as far as the impetus carried it and then wobbled and fell to the ground, while the wheel that took six months less six days to finish rolled as far as the impetus carried it 
and then stood still as if fixed on an axle. And the chariot maker replied, the wheel that took six days to finish, Lord, has a rim that is crooked, faulty, and defective. Spokes that are crooked, faulty, and defective, and a nave that is crooked, faulty, and defective. For this reason, it rolled as far as the impetus carried it, and then it wobbled and fell to the ground. But the wheel that took six months less six days to finish has a rim without crookedness. It has no faults or defects. It has spokes without crookedness, with no faults and defects. And it has a nave that is without crookedness, with no faults, no defects. For this reason, it rolled as far as the impetus carried it. And then it stood still as if fixed on an axle. It may be because that you think on that occasion, the chariot maker was someone else. But you should not think in such a way. On that occasion, I myself was the chariot maker. Then I was skilled in crookedness, faults, and defects in wood. But now I am the Arhat, a perfectly awakened one, perfectly enlightened, skilled in crookedness, faults, and defects of the body, skilled in crookedness, faults, and defects of speech, and skilled in crookedness, faults, and defects of the mind. Any monk or any nun who has not abandoned crookedness, faults, and defects of the body, speech, and mind has fallen down from this Dhamma and discipline just as the wheel that was finished in six days. Any monk or nun who has abandoned crookedness, faults, and defects of the body, speech, and mind is established in this Dhamma and discipline, just as the wheel that was finished in six months less six days remained standing. Therefore, monks, you should train yourselves thus. We will abandon crookedness, faults, and defects of the body. We will abandon crookedness, faults, and defects of speech. We will abandon crookedness, faults, and defects of the mind. It is in this way that you should train yourselves. So what we learn from this sutta is that there is a way for us to train. This path is a training, and it's a gradual training that takes us from a state of being swung around by the worldly winds, blown apart by the worldly winds, crushed by the eight worldly winds over and over again. What are those worldly winds? Well, we all know them. Pain and pleasure, 
we're happy when we're feeling pleasure and we're miserable when we have pain. Gain and loss, we love getting things. Isn't it wonderful when people give us gifts? On our birthday, we get gifts. And then when we don't have a birthday, we don't get gifts. We love getting gifts. We love having things. But what do we do with all the, those gifts? They go in a cupboard and the next year we want more. We never have enough. Even after 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 birthdays, we still want gifts. When will it end? The wanting of things to own and possess. And then there's fame and disrepute. When people like us and love us and shower us with honor, we feel so great. And when people dislike us and avoid us and shun us and disapprove of us, we feel unhappy. And then there's praise and blame. Oh, similar. We love to be praised and we are dejected and angry when we're criticized. Even the slightest bad look from someone can send us into despair. This is the wheel that we keep turning on. But it's a wheel that just wobbles and falls down. It cannot support us because we've not been able to overcome the taints, the corruptions of the mind, the taints and corruptions of our speech, the taints and corruptions of the body. Now the body sicknesses we can hardly prevent because this body is of the nature to fall apart. But our speech and our mental activity, that we can straighten out, that we can purify, and our conduct, our actions of the body, no matter how weak we are in the body, no matter how sick, we can still act well, speak well, and be kind have good thoughts that support that kind of behavior. So this path is not just of perfecting a way externally, but internally. And then the perfection of the mind, this is, this is something that will take a very long time till we can overcome the poisons so that we're not affected by these eight worldly winds, so that we can go as far as the Dhamma and discipline carry us, and then we can stop and stand absolutely still in the present moment, in awakening of the heart to the truth that resides within us. And from the knowledge of that truth, we can live a way that is balanced, still, we can approach the world with great poise and dignity and coolness of heart, with non-agitation, unshakable. But 
it doesn't take only a short time to develop that. It takes a very long time, much more than six months, six years, 60 years, maybe 60 lifetimes. We don't know. But wherever we are, we begin the craft of honing, of perfecting the world within. Because the world beyond, the world outside of us cannot be perfected. Its nature is imperfect. So we have to be very patient. Of course, the king was wanting these wheels for a battle. But we're turning the wheel of the Dhamma. It's the wheel of truth. It's the wheel of the four noble truths, which show us, really, if we reduce them, there two truths of cause-effect, the truth of suffering and the truth of the ending of suffering. What is the cause of suffering? That we, we study that. And that's the second noble truth, is understanding the origin of our suffering, which is ignorance, not understanding suffering. So if we do not see the nature of our suffering condition, that we attach to, to things, we seek our happiness from things, from experiences, from pathways, from journeys, that bring a happiness which is impermanent, unsatisfactory, we cannot sustain it. And it is empty. It has no substance because it is impermanent. We have no control over it. And so we keep running. We're on a wheel that keeps turning us in ignorance, but we're on a wheel of truth developing the understanding of the origin of that suffering is this attachment, this craving for things that will never bring us happiness. And then the ending of that suffering is finding the happiness that is transcendent beyond this world that we can sustain within us, that we don't even have to hold on to it because there is no one to hold on to it, to anything. It's the ending of grasping. And it's knowing that all conditioned phenomena have these characteristics of impermanence, suffering, and emptiness. And when we turn the wheel of the Dhamma completely, then it will stand us still exactly where we are, that the worldly winds will no longer blow us away, break us apart. We will be stable, unshakable, because we will have realized that which is beyond conditions that which is unconditioned. So the wheel of truth is the one that we learn to turn. We're turning it, turning it. And in that turning, we discover that the only death for us is the death of ignorance. and the waking up to the highest, the sublime, supreme Nibbana, the going out of all 
the fires, emptying out all that is poison, polluted, corrupt, unworthy of our effort and attention. And it takes time. What more worthy work can we apply ourselves to? So happiness begets happiness. When we delve into the realm of the mind, we begin to learn these things. We don't learn them just by reading or listening. We learn them by stopping and listening within the heart, listening to the truth that will bubble up from within us. That's how we really turn the wheel. And that's the inner stopping. It's a straightening out. And the journey goes nowhere because there's nothing to get. There's nowhere to go. We are, in a sense, the mind has within it all that potential. We just have to light the spark with our own intuitive awareness and discernment, with the ripening of our own wisdom, sharpening our wisdom, just like a carpenter sharpens his tool. So we sharpen the mind to such an extent that it can rest on one point in one place, unperturbed, imperturbable. And then in that way, we can touch that which is unsurpassed in terms of happiness. And the journey begins here. So that's why we're beginners, because we keep starting over. And we leave whatever we've done that didn't work, we leave it behind. We try not to repeat our mistakes, missteps. Like when you're climbing a mountain and you fall down, you learn how to walk a little more carefully. And mindfulness is the path to the deathless. That which doesn't die. I'll stop there for tonight.